from KQED. This is drugs. This is your brain on drugs. Any questions? As the eve of legalized marijuana in California approaches, yeah, I do have some questions. The biggest one, can there be such a thing as pot reparations? I'm Sandhya Dirks, and you're listening to Cued Up. These high school boys and girls are having a hop at the local soda fountain. Innocently, they dance. Innocent of a new and deadly menace lurking behind closed doors. Marijuana, the burning weed with its roots in hell. The roots of weed demonization are actually dug pretty deep in, wait for it, racism. After Prohibition, Harry Anslinger, the man who would become known as America's first drug czar, turned his sights on marijuana. The Treasury Department intends to pursue a relentless warfare against the despicable, dope-peddling vulture who preys on the weakness of his fellow man. In 1937, he testified before Congress in hearings that would lead to the banning of marijuana. Lots of people have always smoked pot for lots of reasons. But when it came time to criminalize it, Anslinger associated the drug with jazz musicians a.k.a. African-Americans. And Mexican immigrants, using the narrative of inferior races to paint the drug as a threat to the rest of America. In California, Indian and South Asian immigrants did not escape the stain of grass. Of course, back then, they were called Hindus. They were also implicated in marijuana scaremongering. Within the last year, we in California have been getting a large influx of Hindus, and they have in turn started quite a demand for cannabis indica. They are a very undesirable lot, and the habit is growing in California very fast. The fear is now that it is not being confined to the Hindus alone, but they are initiating our whites into this habit. Henry J. Finger, member of California's Board of Pharmacy, 1911. Fast forward half a century to Nixon's war on drugs. We must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one in the United States, the problem of dangerous drugs. Scientific research was clear. Pot wasn't the demon weed. But that didn't matter. This is a dramatization from a TV show. But the quote, it's very real. It's a now infamous quote from Nixon aide John Ehrlichman. We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or black. But by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and blacks with heroin, and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. So first, racism was used to demonize weed. Then weed was used to demonize and lock up people of color. White folks smoke herb at about the same rate as black people. But if you are black, you are 3.73. That's almost four times more likely to be arrested. So, any questions? Well, here's one that I've got. Will those that were unequally punished be able to profit now that grass is a legitimate cash crop. Reporter Alyssa Jung-Perry went to look for an answer. 
Linda Grant has lived in East Oakland for most of her life. Right down here at Elmhurst Elementary School on 98th. And that's where she got into the weed business a long time ago. I went to junior high school and we stayed on the football field all day selling weed to each other, selling dollar joints, selling $5 bags of weed. Grant's 48 now. She's a mother and a grandmother, and she's still in the game, operating underground. So inevitably, she's had some run-ins with the law, like in 1994. I just remember, like, they saying, yeah, you're going to jail for a long time for this weed. And I'm like, what? It's only a $5 bag of weed, $10 maybe. And I just remember them taunting me. The police officer is like, oh, yeah, you're going. You can kiss your kids goodbye. You're going to jail for so long. You ain't going to see sunlight again. It was horrible. Being black and getting arrested for cannabis isn't unusual in Oakland. According to a city report, 77% of those arrested for cannabis in 2015 were black, though black people make up just one-third of Oakland's population. Darlene Flynn is the head of the city's Department of Race and Equity. Certain communities have been policed for the same activities because we know that white people use drugs and sell drugs at approximately the same rate that black and brown people do, but they don't get jailed at the same rate. Now Oakland's trying to right that wrong. We certainly can't fix everything that has happened in the past, but what we can say is going forward, how can we make things more fair? So the city has started an equity cannabis permit program. That means as Oakland hands out permits for legal pot businesses, it will give priority to people who have been convicted for cannabis. And people like Grant, who live in parts of the city that have the highest number of marijuana-related arrests. And Flynn says they're trying to counteract another inequity. While East and West Oakland have been disproportionately policed for weed, Other neighborhoods have benefited from the city's embrace of medical marijuana. Literally another geographic part of the city that was where we have concentrations of people who are not people of color, uh, being able to run universities and workshops and be very out in the open about cultivating their entrepreneurialism. But for Oakland's equity applicants, moving from the underground to the legal marketplace may not be easy. More than 100 people have started the application process, but the city says they have yet to issue any permits. In part, that's because there's a lot of hoops to jump through. Grant says she still needs to get a business license, lease a legitimate workspace, and show that her income is low enough to qualify. They want tax returns and stuff like that. I don't have no receipts from selling weed. I haven't worked legally. To qualify, you have to make less than $53,000 a year. James Anthony is a local medical cannabis lawyer. He says it's hard for people with little income to start any kind of business. They have no money. They have uh, no access to land. They don't have commercial property. They don't have startup capital. It's a very, very difficult task, and I'm not sure how the city is going to solve all those problems. But Grant is determined to make this work. She dreams of becoming the first black woman to own a dispensary in East Oakland. I think my experience and my background makes me um, eligible to own a dispensary because I have been in a cannabis club business. So illegal or not illegal, I still know what to do. She does know a lot about marijuana. And it seems like in a perfect world, she could take those skills legit as weed goes legit. And yet, it's not that easy. When a business comes out from the shadows, the rules change. Alyssa takes us next to an incubator for aspiring pot entrepreneurs. Is that potrepreneurs? <laughs> so they can make that jump and take that next step. 
Anya Gamble-Hill is a 67-year-old grandmother. She's standing in front of a crowd of weed investors and entrepreneurs at an event space in downtown Oakland. She says she's nervous, but you can't really tell. I am the founder of A Plus Collective Incorporated. We are a boutique cannabis delivery service. The team is me. I'm a one-woman show. I've smoked cannabis for glaucoma for years. But what makes me special is that I'm serving people like me. I'm only interested in seniors. She wasn't always this confident until she completed basic business classes along with other aspiring CEOs. And I'm curious as to why you make me take the heading off all my title. At first, it was like learning a foreign language. The pitch deck, the, the Google Docs, the... I mean, of course, I've seen a PowerPoint, but I've never done a PowerPoint before. So I retired in 1998. Hill took the program through the Hood Incubator. It's an Oakland nonprofit that trains people of color on how to enter the legal pot industry. The incubator is similar to what you might find in the world of tech startups, where wannabe founders learn to network, build pitches, and meet investors in a very short period of time. Abele Afedibo is one of the three co-founders of the Hood Incubator and a Yale MBA grad. So what's the Hood Incubator's end goal? It's going to give people that access to training and education, that access to capital, um, and the access to information that are traditional barriers. In all types of businesses, Black entrepreneurs are less likely to have access to cash and credit. So that means they have an even harder time starting up and succeeding. You can see the way that's played out already in the legal pot industry. Nationwide, fewer than 5% of owners or founders are Black. That's according to a survey done by the publication Marijuana Business Daily. Efetibo thinks marijuana can offer success for people of color as the legal industry grows. But there's a painful irony here. But it's also the exact same plant that drove the majority of the war on drugs that we all know disproportionately affected black and brown communities, tore our families apart, ruined a lot of people's lives. Even as pot becomes legalized in more states across the nation, black people are likely to face harsher consequences for its possession and use. These disparities are what drives Afedibo and the Hood Incubator. Afedibo believes the future will look different, even if people like Anya Gamble-Hill don't get their ideas off the ground. Their businesses may not be operating one, two, five years down the line, but they've come away with an experience, a skill set, and like a run-through of what it means to be an entrepreneur. It's been a few months since Hill pitched her cannabis delivery service. She still hasn't found an investor. I need all this money to apply and for the permit, and then money for security, money for a location. So it's all about money. Money, cash, investment. That's always the problem. If Oakland is going to provide something like pot reparations, investors will need to step up with money to back up those good intentions. But just like there are inequalities in who gets caught with pot, there are inequalities in who people invest in. In the past, being white meant a better chance of getting away with smoking marijuana. Now that it's legal, being white means a better chance of getting paid for it. So here's where we shift gears. We leave Oakland and travel across the Bay Bridge, down the peninsula, towards Palo Alto. We'll meet a group of women who may be a somewhat surprising new market for marijuana. 
And we'll see how a pair of entrepreneurs are having an easier time finding green investors. Prepare for a tea party. Yes, really. High tea. The women, roughly 50 of them, arrived in a festive mood. For one thing, they were told to dress for a tea party. So they were wearing gorgeous 1950s-style dresses and great big hats. That said, recreational marijuana is not legal yet. And many of these middle-aged women were a little anxious about exposure. Not worried mom or dad might hear this story on KQED, but perhaps judgy bosses or clients. Lori, let's just call her Lori, shall we, says she is not looking for a new addiction. I am not a big uh, marijuana person. Um, Did you use it in college? Yes. (laughs) But Lori would like a little help getting better sleep. And sweeping her arm to include the rest of the room, Lori said she suspects others want the same. We're all looking for the magic pill, I guess. If this sounds a little sedate, well, that's the idea. Kikoko, the company sponsoring this tea party, complete with cucumber sandwiches and the obligatory kale salad, is targeting mature women. That is to say, women looking to take the edge off before bedtime, not to get baked on the couch with your buddies in a pizza. Kikoko co-founder Jennifer Chapin. We realized we were on to something when we talked to so many women that were reliant on pharmaceuticals and not necessarily happily. And if we could come up with a reliably dosed product, we'd have a winner. It wasn't as easy as you might think, says co-founder Amanda Jones. We went through, I think, three science teams before, four, four science teams before we really actually cracked the nut. There was also quite a bit of (laughs) personal research to fix on a product that would stand out from the crowd of options available now on the medical marijuana market. Mints, gummy bears, tinctures, you name it. Just put it this way, in the last three years, we've done a lot more weed than we ever, ever did before in our lives. They finally fixed on water-soluble tea blends laced with a tiny bit of THC, the psychoactive ingredient in cannabis that gets you high. Three to ten milligrams tops, microdosing they call it. Chelsea McCrill mans the tea table at the party where she carefully gauges each guest's tolerance before she pops a sachet into an old-fashioned teacup and pours in hot water. I would love to suggest um, doing a full dose of our sensuality. It's seven milligrams. It has rose petals, cardamom, hibiscus. Um, this is not a product your teenager will want to steal from the cupboard, unless it's for the flavor of the teas. But that's not necessarily a bad thing in terms of the mainstream market. David Downs is the cannabis editor at the San Francisco Chronicle. Prohibition drove up the potency of cannabis products, and legalization is going to drive them back down as companies seek to reach bigger and bigger markets, and most of those markets have very, very low tolerances for cannabis. To purchase Kikoko teas today, you have to have a medical marijuana card. In January, the game changes, and Kikoko's potential market expands. The question is, are they ready for expanded competition, too? Downs worries all the new regulation and red tape will quickly drive out small players like Kikoko. Cannabis is in a period of intense capitalization, and it goes without saying that the people with the most access to capital in America tend to be um, white males. Don't tell that to Jones and Chapin. 
They have no illusions about gender bias in business, but they've managed to raise more than $3 million so far from investors who trust they know best how to market to people like themselves. There are opportunities for smaller mom and pop pot entrepreneurs in this brave new market. But those that for so long suffered under the criminalization of marijuana seem the least likely to benefit right now from its legalization. Some pot equity programs in Oakland and San Francisco may help to create balance for a few, but the racist legacy of weed? Legalization may not really make a dent in that. If there's going to be real pot reparations, it's going to take money. It's going to take investment. I'm Sandhya Dirks, and you are listening to Cued Up. Thank you so much to Rachel Myro and Alyssa Jung Perry for bringing us those stories. Cued Up senior editor is Julia McAvoy. Its executive producers are Holly Kernan and Ethan Lindsay. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanks for listening. <laughs>